Well, this morning, we are going to begin a new series today called The Oldest Trick in the Book. The Oldest Trick in the Book, and if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, that's going to be kind of our theme verse uh, for the next several weeks here. Now, one thing I really love is I love watching magic tricks, all right? I just, for something about it, it just gives me a little awe, it gives me a little wonder, and just like, how did they do that? You know, I know it's not magic. I know there's a trick behind it. I know there's, I know there's a catch. You know, when a magician does something, there's always a catch. There's always a trick. And for me, I like watching it just to see if I can figure out how did he do it? You know, how did, how did they make that card disappear? How did they get that card in that person's pocket out in the audience? Like, I don't understand these things. And uh, so I, I love seeing that, and I love, if you go on YouTube for a while, you know, eventually you go down a rabbit hole. My rabbit hole usually leads me to watching uh, how magicians did magic tricks late into the night, and Angie's just like, what are you watching? What are you doing? Like, hold on, I got to figure out how they sawed this lady in half and put her back together, you know? And, and so that's usually where, where my brain goes, and, uh, but I like figuring out the trick behind it. And so I was watching a trick the other day. Now, I'm not going to do it for you. But just so you can kind of see, see what happened here, I'm no magician. Trust me on this. I've tried many times. I've impressed some teenagers every once in a while, but usually I mess up. Uh, so he had a deck of cards, and, and uh, he had a glass, right? And he had a quarter. And uh, what he did, he's like, all right, I'm going I'm to hit this, and I'm going to put this quarter in the cup without lifting it up. And so he just like snapped his fingers, and all of a sudden, shh, don't watch. The quarter landed in the cup. And it was just like, how did he do that? You know? And, and so I'm racking my brain. I'm trying to figure out, like, maybe, maybe there's a trick in the cup. You know, maybe there's a quarter hidden in there or something. Or it's deceiving my eyeballs. But what was really cool is he decided to film the whole thing in slow motion. So that he could play it back like a thousand frames per second. And so as you, you looked at the magic trick, and I'm watching, like, what's going to happen? And he, he's going down. And as he goes down, he snaps his fingers. And you see the quarter fly up his sleeve and disappear. So I was like, oh, didn't see that, you know, because that happened in like one frame, in one second. And then I was like, okay, so how does the quarter appear in here? And as he hits the glass, all of a sudden the deck, a little compartment flips open, and a quarter pops out of the deck of cards, and it's like a little magnet, and then it flips back down. So it looks like nothing happened, and a quarter came, and it's just like, wow. I would have never guessed a quarter flipped out of a deck of cards. But it was really cool just to see, like, there's always a trick, right? There's always a trick to those magic tricks. And I love seeing, just breaking it down and figuring out how did they do it, because for the most part, you get fooled. And here's the thing, in, in this series, uh, the devil, who's totally real, he's not just some cartoon character who pops up on your shoulder, right? Sometimes I think we view him that way, because that's how we've seen him our whole life, but the devil, is, he's real. He, he's real, and he has been tricking people for thousands of years, right? He's like the ultimate magician. He's very good at tricking people, at fooling people. He's been lying, cheating, and stealing people's hopes and futures for millennia. But here's the catch. He's been using the same tricks for all these years. The same tricks he used in the Garden of Eden, he still uses today. And if we can understand that, if we can understand what his game plan is, if we can figure out the tricks he's using, then we're going to be able to defend ourselves and be much less likely fooled by them, right? Just like if you watch some magic tricks for a while, at first they're really impressive. After a while you're like, oh yeah, I know how, I do, how he does that. There's a quarter 
in a little trap door in the deck of cards, right? Now I'm not fooled anymore uh, until the next trick. But the devil, he doesn't change his tricks. He uses the same ones over and over and over. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be exposing some of the devil's go-to tricks. Again, he's been perfecting them for a long time, so you may not even realize that you've been fooled by them. But two things that I want you to get from this series, two things. Uh, Number one, I want you to get practical ways that you can recognize and overcome the devil's tricks. So practical ways you can recognize them and overcome them. And the second thing is this, the assurance that Jesus wins 10 out of 10 times. He wins 100%. The devil is not greater than Jesus. Jesus is greater than the devil. And if we rely on Jesus, he's going to help us overcome them every time. Uh, The devil is not too much. He's too much for us, but he's not too much for God. And if we rely on God, uh, he can't touch us. So in John chapter 10, if you are there, uh, Jesus is making this great analogy of he's calling the church, he's calling people, we are sheep, and he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd takes care of the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they they come to him. The the good shepherd comes through the door. Uh, He he comes through the the gate. And, And so he's describing this. Jesus is the good shepherd. The people are his sheep. We follow Jesus. But he also said there's another dude too. His name is the thief. Thief doesn't use the door. The thief likes to sneak in. And in fact, this is the purpose. This is the thief's mission statement. This is what he's all about. And in John 10, verse 10, it says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So in this passage, Jesus is referring to that thief as the devil. The devil likes to sneak in. He likes to take the back route into the pen. Uh, he likes, his purpose and his goal in life is threefold. It's to steal, to kill, and destroy. Nothing else. He's not there to give life. That's Jesus' role. He's there to give life and life abundantly. But the thief's role is to steal and kill and destroy. And like I said earlier, the devil, he's real. He's not just made up or some symbol for evil. The devil is not only real, but he's also very powerful. And it's sad to see people be pulled in through that power, through things like witchcraft, or to see people who say they're a friend of the devil. Like That's, that's not something to be taken lightly. That's not something to joke about. The devil is, is very real. And while the devil may have power, it is limited. But we serve a God who's all-powerful, a God who is, who is unlimited. And we learn from this verse that the devil literally has no good intentions. I mean, there's not a good bone in his body. He is and always has been in the business of destroying lives. His greatest desire is to see you suffer. That's his greatest desire. That's his goal in life is to see you suffer. So why on earth would you ever want to be associated with the devil when his greatest desire is to destroy you, destroy your family, to destroy your friends? And for some of you, you may have seen this firsthand. You've seen it in your family or you've seen it in, in a close friend and you've just seen the devil just destroy their lives and, and ruin them from, from the inside out. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at each of these purposes, how he steals, how he kills, and how he destroys, and, and the tricks that he uses to get what he wants. But this week, I want to focus on how the devil steals from you. All right, I want to focus on how the devil steals from you. Because the devil's a master thief. He's like one of those street magicians who like steals your watch without you noticing, right? But he takes it another step further. He not only steals your watch, but then he tries to convince you that it's not your watch, it's his watch, and you were never wearing a watch to begin with, right? He, he, dis, he distorts the truth. His MO is to not only steal, but it's also to distort the truth. Now, the devil isn't in the business of stealing watches, 
but he's out for something much more valuable. See, his prized possession is identities. He's out to steal identities. He's in the business of identity theft. Now, identity theft, that's a pretty popular thing these days. You can go out and you can buy insurance uh, so your identity doesn't get stolen or your uh, social security number is more protected or different things like that. And, and, and really, in the grand scheme of things, identity theft is kind of a new term. But to the devil, he's been doing it since day one. He's been doing it for thousands of years. Since the Garden of Eden, he has been uh, in the business of identity theft. And for some of you in this room, you may have a stolen identity and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Because again, he's good at his tricks. He's, he, he likes to fool us. So he's a master at his craft. But today we are going to expose his seeker and we're going to show you how he does his trick. So you don't fall for it in your own life. So first, let's check out his number one trick. All right, just a couple of chapters uh, back in John chapter 8 and verse 40, 44, Jesus is talking about the devil and he says this, when the devil lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is short. Let me read it again. When the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, there are many languages spoken in this room. You know, some of you are English is your first language, some Spanish, some German is your first language. There's probably other uh, languages represented in this room a- as well. But it says that the devil's native language, it's not English, it's not Spanish, it's not German, it's lies. That's what he speaks. That's what he knows. He doesn't know truth. He only speaks in lies. Now, English is my first language, as you can see. Some days it doesn't feel like that, but English is my first language. And, uh, but in high school, I took four years of Spanish. Every semester, every year, I was in a Spanish class. So I learned all the vocab. I learned how to read in Spanish. And I felt like I got pretty decent. I could even start like understanding uh, you know, people who were speaking in Spanish and what they were saying. And, and uh, so I could pick up on a lot of things. And, and a few years after high school, about five or six years after high school, uh, I went on a missions trip to El Salvador. And when I was down there, I thought, all right, this is going to be cool. I get to put this my Spanish skills to work here. You know, finally, I haven't had much of an opportunity, but uh, today I get to do that. And so I was excited. And, and like I said, I could, I could read the signs. I could tell where we were going. I could pick up on a lot of what uh, the nationals were speaking and uh, the directions they were giving us. And I thought, this is great. And then I tried to speak myself in Spanish. And it wasn't so great. And I got a lot of very awkward stares at me because they're like, what language are you speaking? I remember one day I had a soccer ball and every, every place we went to, we had soccer balls and we'd give them away uh, to the kids there and it was great. It had Bible verses on it and shared the gospel with them. But I had one of the soccer balls that we just needed to keep for the, for the next group, but we could play around with at that time. And I had a group of, uh, of, of little kids come up to me and I clearly understood them. They said, we want the soccer ball. Give us the soccer ball, please. You know, so I, I knew what they were asking for. And, and so in my best Spanish, I won't try to do it now, I told them, I'm sorry, we need to keep the ball for the next trip, um, but we can play with it or something like that. And they just looked at me and they didn't get it. I did not say the right words. I didn't have the right stuff. And I thought, no, these are all the vocab learned, words I learned. Like, this is, this is right. But I didn't have the right accent. I, 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 I wasn't fluent in it. And they just stared at me. Eventually, I had to call an interpreter over, and they told them. And then they're like, oh, okay, we got it. We'll, we'll walk away. Uh, another day, I was trying to talk to one of our, our nationals on our team. His name was Luis. And, 
And I'm trying to communicate, I'm trying to talk to him about the weather, right? That's a great thing to talk about. So I'm trying to ask him about the weather and what the temperature is going to be today. And he's just looking at me puzzled. And he's watching me struggle. He's watching me struggle. And I mean, this went on for a couple days. I'm trying to talk to him in Spanish. He's just watching me struggle and uh, kind of laughing at me. And then I realized halfway through the trip, he actually spoke English. And he's been pulling my leg the whole time, you know. But, but it's interesting, the devil, it says his native language is lies. So if the devil tried to speak truth, it would come out awkward, it would come out weird, it would come out like me trying to talk Spanish, right? It just wouldn't come out right. See, the devil's native language, he is fluent in lies. He's fluent in lies. That's what he knows. So every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie. It's deception, and it's ultimately to get what he really wants. Not for your betterment, but for his. He doesn't want you to prosper. He doesn't want you to succeed. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Even if the pitch the devil's throwing you is, no, this is going to be good for you. You're going to prosper. You're going to have lots of stuff. You're going to have lots of things. You're going to have a high status. Really, he's just setting you up for failure. He's just setting you up for failure. It may feel like a win in the short term, but in the long term, he is setting you up for failure because he is a liar and the father of lies. And again, this is his main trick that the devil used. The one he's used from the beginning and the one he still uses now, he lies to you. He lies to you. That's his trick. That's his go-to move. So first, before we get to the devil's lies, all right, we got to have some framework here, all right? Uh, you need to hear this today. You need to be hit with some truth. Can I hit you with some truth today? Can I hit you with some good news today? Because I think you need to hear this. You need to have this, this foundation. If you don't have this foundation, you'll fall for anything, right? You'll believe any lie the devil tells you if you don't have this foundation. So let me hit you with some truth straight from God's Word, unedited, and uh, it's going to come fast. So you can follow along on the screen. Psalm 139 says this, For you created my inmost being. It's referring to God. For God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things He has planned for us long ago. John 3.16, some of you may be familiar with this one. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Alright, so here's some truths that we can pick up out of these passages. Alright, number one, you are created by God. You are created by God. It says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. And he, he handcrafted you. He made you. You are not some accident that came about from millions of years of evolution. No, you are designed and created by God. You are created by God. God created you. Second thing is, you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. It says, for we are God's masterpieces. We are God's craftsmanship. Right? God didn't make a mistake on you. God didn't, you know, just willy-nilly throw things in and say, man, I hope, 
a human comes out of there, or, you know, someone capable of speaking and all that you like. He, he designed you. He made you just the way that you're supposed to be. He gave you your personality. He, he gave you your character. He gave you all these different things. He gave you your skills. He gave you, you your abilities. And He made you perfect. You're not some like reject on the line. You are a masterpiece created by God. You are not a mistake. He knows you down to the smallest of details. Created by God, you're a masterpiece. Third thing, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. It says that God ordained each and every one of your days. That he made a plan for you long ago. You are on this planet for a reason. You're not here just to simply take up space or to blend into the background. Church, you have a purpose. Every person has a purpose. Last thing from these passages. You are known and loved. You are known and you are loved. God knows you better than you know yourself. He formed you. He handcrafted you. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. Now, we've sinned. We've messed up his perfect creation. But he sees past all of our flaws and he sees your value. In fact, when he looks at you, he, he thought you were so valuable that he sent his son to die for you. Like, that's how, that's how much value God sees in you. He sent his son to die for you so that you could have a second chance, so that you could have eternal life, so that you could reconnect with God, even though we've messed up his perfect creation. He loves you that much. So you are known and you are loved. So this is truth. Church, this is your true identity. Your identity isn't the job you do or the family you're a part of or the church you go to or your skills and ability. Those aren't your identity. Your identity is you are created by God. You uh, are created with a purpose, and you are fully known, and you are fully loved. You are God's masterpiece. That's, that's your identity. That's who you are. That's who you are. And nothing you have done in your life has changed these facts about you. But like I said before, the devil doesn't like you knowing your identity. He doesn't like you knowing your identity. Because when you know your identity, you're dangerous. When you know who you are, you're dangerous. When you know that, that you're a child of God, like we sang about earlier, that's dangerous because now you've got power. Now you've got authority because you're a child of the king and you, you can go to Jesus. He doesn't like that. So he likes to steal your identity. See, remember, he's out to steal and kill and destroy and he wants to steal your identity. So he pulls the oldest trick in the book. He pulls out his native language. He, he, he pulls out his go-to move and he begins to tell you lies. He begins to tell you lies. Now, he's been doing this for thousands of years. So he knows how to do it. He knows if he'd just come out and hit you with a big lie, you wouldn't believe him. So he does it very subtly. He does it very softly. He tries to plant that idea at its lowest stage so that you think it was your idea to begin with all along. Right? And once he plants that little lie in your brain, once it takes root, it begins to grow and grow and grow until it takes over. So let me give you an example. Again, it starts with the little things. Maybe you go to work one day and you've got the quarterly review coming up and, uh, and you get a bad review. You get a bad review at work or your boss just tells you like, wow, man, you didn't do very good today, right? So you're not feeling very good about yourself and you go home and, and all of a sudden, let's say you, you've got a teenager at the dinner table and they tell you, you know, for the hundredth time, oh, you're embarrassing me. You know, mom or dad, you're embarrassing me. And usually you're just like, well, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm your parent. I'm supposed to embarrass you. But today, you know, you're feeling kind of down, and, and so that just, that just sticks with you. 
you know? And then later that day, uh, later that night, your spouse says something and it just cuts right to the heart and just tears you down. And, and all these things, again, usually you can shake them off, but, but today it just feels like one thing after the next, after the next. And all these voices are speaking into your life and they all feel negative, right? And you go and, and you look in the mirror that night and it's just like, man, I'm just not as in shape as I used to be, you know? And, and I don't necessarily like what I see in the mirror. And it just, again, it just kind of just kind of sticks and kind of sticks and kind of sticks. And it's in these moments when the devil finds you in a vulnerable spot, when you're all alone, when you're feeling kind of down on yourself, that's when he implants that idea. And maybe he whispers something in your ear like, you're worthless. Earlier that day, like, what are you talking about, devil? Get out of my head. But now when you're you're vulnerable and you're all alone, when you've got no support system there, when it feels like the world's against you, now all of a sudden, that idea, that concept, you're worthless, maybe, maybe sticks a little bit. And so now that, that that concept is maybe planted in there, now every negative encounter you have, it just kind of adds fuel to the fire. It just, just kind of grows that concept in your mind, right? Oh, man. Yeah, that's because I'm worthless. That's because I'm worthless. That's because nobody cares about me. And before long, you've forgotten that you're God's masterpiece created with a purpose and you're fully known and you're fully loved. And now you believe that you're a mistake who can't do anything right, who is unlovable and with no purpose. And it's all because you allowed that lie to sneak in at your lowest moment. So do you see how the devil plays his tricks? He lies to you when you're at your weakest, when you're all alone, when you're vulnerable. That's, that's when he sneaks in. That's when he does it. So how do we fight this? How do we fight against the lies of the devil? How do we uh, not fall for his tricks anymore? How do we make sure he doesn't plant a lie inside of us and it doesn't take root? How do we get our identities back? Well, to do that, I want to look at Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, and you can turn there if you'd like. Uh, this is, in this real life account, uh, the story focuses on Jacob. Jacob. Uh, Jacob, he wasn't perfect by any account. Jacob was the son of Isaac, the, the son of Abraham. And, uh, you know, so Jacob comes from this great line. And, and so we see his story playing out here. And like I said, Jacob wasn't perfect. And, but God still used him in powerful ways. We'll see that again and again. Probably every week I can say, you know what? God uses imperfect people to do incredible things. And that's what God used Jacob for. He was, he was an imperfect person. But God used him in powerful ways. And in fact, uh, God renamed Jacob Israel, and that's where we get the nation of Israel today. And Jacob's wife, Jacob's wife Rachel, uh, was about to give birth to her second son. And so we read that in Genesis 35, starting with verse 16, it says this. It says, Then Jacob and his family journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as Rachel's soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni. So here's Rachel. Here's Rachel, and she's giving birth to this boy, and she knows that she's going to die. She knows she's going to die. So she names her son Benoni. And if you look that up, uh, what that means, Benoni means one who kills me, or son of my sorrow. Right? Can you imagine walking around the rest of your life with that name, with that identity? I killed my mom. 
or I brought great sorrow to my family. And everywhere he goes, that's, that's how people recognize him. That's somebody who brings great sorrow. That's someone who brings death. That's someone who death follows them every day. Man, what kind of an identity would that be? That would be hard. That, that, would, be, that would be difficult. But maybe, maybe you can relate this morning. Maybe you've been walking around with an identity that's similar to Benoni's. Maybe the devil has given you an identity and you've bought into that lie and you walk around uh, with an identity that reads, I'm a failure. I'm addicted. I'm a cheater. I'm a liar. I'm worthless. I'm unloved. I'm broken. I'm selfish. I'm corrupt. I'm a loser. Whatever it might be that the devil has lied in and you walk around and, and that's how people see you. And that's how you've allowed people to see you. And that's what you see when you look in the mirror and you walk around with this identity. That's not who you are, but that's, that's who you've embraced. And that's who the world has seen you as. You've made mistakes and you've had family members and friends and bosses and mentors. They've speak, spoken negatively over your life and you've believed the lies. See, maybe you used to look in the mirror and see someone you liked, but now you look in the mirror and you don't even see someone you recognize. Or you see someone you despise, despise and it's just like, who is that person? Who, who am I looking at? What am I looking at? Because that's not me. And, and you look in there and you feel like you aren't good enough. You feel like you're in a pit that you can't climb out of. You feel like you have no purpose and you'll never amount to anything. But let me tell you this morning, your story doesn't have to end like that. Church, that's not your true identity. That's a false identity. Let me assure you this morning, that is a false identity. Because I'm thankful to tell you this morning that Ben-Oni's story didn't end like that. He didn't keep his, his identity like that. You see, his father Jacob, he'd experienced something very similar. When he was a child, uh, he was a twin and, and he, he tried to sneak out and, and it didn't quite work. And his brother was born first. And, and so they, they named him Jacob, which meant liar or trickster. And Jacob lived with that title his whole life. Everywhere he went, people saw him. Oh, Jacob, that's a liar. That's a trickster. I better watch out for him. And you know the sad thing is? He lived up to his name. Everywhere he went, he fulfilled that prophecy. And, and he, uh, he had some tricks up his sleeve. He was a magician, so to speak, uh, where he tricked his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his brother out of his... He tricked his father into giving him the inheritance that belonged to his brother. Uh, he... He tricked his father-in-law into giving him more than, than he had bargained for. So he, he constantly was finding ways to trick people who lived up to that name. But then one day, one night, God came to him. And he wrestled with God. I mean, the whole night, it says he struggled with God. And he wouldn't let go of God. And he said, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so God gave him a blessing. He said, your name's no longer Jacob. Your name is now Israel which means wrestles with God. And now when Jacob walked around, he was no longer looked at as liar or, or trickster, but now he was looked at as somebody who encountered God. Everywhere he went, his identity was wrapped up in, I encountered God. I wrestled with God. I'm going to chase after God. I'm, I'm going to fight for God. Right? Totally different person. So he realized the power of a name. He realized the power uh, of an identity. And so if we continue reading that verse, verse 18, again it says, And as Rachel's soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni. 
but it said that his father called him Benjamin. So Jacob, he looks at his brand new boy, and there's great joy there, but there's also great sorrow. His, his wife has just died. And he says, I'm not going to call you. You're not going to be known by the boy who killed his mom. You're not going to be a, a child of sorrow. But he looked at him and he said, your name will be Benjamin. It's a great name, by the way. It's really good. Good choice, Jacob. He says, your name's going to be Benjamin. You're not going to be the, the child who killed my wife, killed your mom. You're going to be the child. And it means, Benjamin means son of my right hand. It means favored one. No, you're going to be my favored one. You're going to have identity. You're going to have purpose. People are going to look at you differently because I've named you your true identity. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters whose you are in your mind. That's what Jacob was saying. He says your identity isn't wrapped up in what you've done. Your identity is wrapped up in who's your dad. And I'm your dad. And I love you. And I will always love you. And you will be favored. And you will be the son of my right hand. See, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give you life. And life abundantly. And, and no matter what tag the devil has tried to put on you, no matter what lie that you have given into, no matter what identity he has tried to lie and tell you, God looks at you this morning and he says, you're not what you've done, but you're whose you are and you are mine. You are a child of God. And I love you. And you are a favored one. Church, that's your true identity. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You're created with a purpose. You are fully known and you are fully loved. So church, when the devil tries to remind you of what you've done, remind him of whose you are. Remind him of whose you are. You're not your past mistakes. Right? We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. But you know what? When we come to Jesus, he forgives us and he adopts us as his children. Your identity is in Christ. It's not what you've done. Your identity is in Christ. And he looks at you and he says, you are my child. You are a favored one. You're a favored one. Now, I don't know what you've done, and I don't know what lies you've been bought into, but today Jesus can restore your identity. No matter how far you've gone, Jesus can restore your identity. He thought you were so valuable in your broken down, sinful state. Again, he sent his son to die for you. He wasn't worthy of death. He hadn't sinned. He hadn't messed up. But instead, he went to the cross willingly. And he took our punishment. He took my punishment. He took your punishment. So that we could have a second shot at this thing. So that we could have new life. So he could bring us back to that perfect creation. So that we could live out that purpose and that plan that God has ordained for us. You are not a lost cause cause you are loved and today Jesus wants to give you your identity back that the devil has stolen from you church the devil is a liar the devil is a liar so if you ever hear anything like that you're worthless nobody loves you that's not God speaking that's the devil trying to lie to you and you need to come after that and you need to let the devil know whose you are you're a child of God you're a child of the king. You're an heir to the throne. You're not powerless. You're powerful. This morning, I want to invite the, the worship team to come back up. We, we sang that song, I'm a child of God. And 
And in just a few moments, I want to sing that again. I want to give you an opportunity just to respond in that way and to get that deep into your heart, to get that deep into your soul. We are children of God. That's our identity. That's our identity. And we need to remind ourselves of that every single day. We need to remind ourselves of that every day. But right now, would you, would you bow your heads with me? Just close your eyes. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe there's some of you out there today that you realize your identity's been stolen. You've been given into the lies. You've been given in uh, to the negative feedback. Maybe that a parent has told you or a family member or a coworker or a friend. And those words cut down to the bone, but you've adopted them. But today, Jesus wants to give you your real identity back. Been walking around with a fake ID for far too long, and Jesus wants to give you your true identity back. He wants to make you a child of the King. So this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're, if you're in this place this morning, and, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, and give Him an opportunity to, to speak truth over you, then would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I want to pray with you this morning. And there's no magical words, but I, I want to pray with you. So if there's anybody down, down, on, the bow, or down on the floor, we'll, we'll take our time here. Is there anybody who would like to accept Jesus today? Anybody in the balcony? Well, this morning, whether you raise your hand or not today, I know God wants to do a great work in you. I know God wants to restore some identities in this place. And he's not done with you yet. You may feel used, you may feel broken, but God wants to make you whole. And he wants to give you that new identity. So let me pray with you this morning. Jesus, God, I pray for each and every person in this room today. God, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, if there's anyone who's never surrendered their life to you, God, I pray that they would, they would take the time today and make the best decision of their lives. God, there's no greater decision, there's no greater calling that they can have in their lives than to follow you. God, you've ordained everyone's days in this room. You have a plan, you have a purpose. You love them and you know them. So God, I pray that you would restore identities in this room this morning. God, that you would change lives in the name of Jesus. Do what only you can do. Devil, we, we come against you. You cannot lie to us any longer. We are aware of your tricks. And we serve a God who's much more powerful than you. And you have no authority in this place. So God, we pray that you would come. And, and God, you would give us a new identity today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, would you stand with me? Again, we're going to sing these altars are open and encourage you, find a place at these if you, if you want to get alone with God. But let's sing, let's declare this song. We are children of God. That is our true identity. We belong to Jesus. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love
Jesus, we are who you say we are. Not what anybody else thinks of us or says of us, but we are who you say we are. We're a child of God. So God, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would embrace that identity. God, that we would remember that in our homes, in our businesses, as we're walking around town. God, we are your children. May we live that way. So God, I pray that you would go with us. God, I pray that you would be with us as we leave this place, that this church wouldn't stop at the end of these four walls. But God, we would flood into our community and and share the love of Jesus with everyone we encounter and share Christ with this world as we love you. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. God, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, church. We look forward to seeing you this Wednesday night at 630 for our Wednesday night kickoff. Have an incredible week.